0: Welcome to the Law of Attraction, Traction, Quantum Consciousness, Connection, and Creation with my mom, holistic psychotherapist Kareen Bierfeld. Karine has worked in private practice for over 20 years and has witnessed miraculous recoveries treating those who've experienced trauma. Trauma stored in the body can subconsciously affect and determine our life experience. When unconscious, programs and traumas are accessed and released, negative core beliefs and maladaptive behaviors can be permanently reprogrammed. Dive deeper into the law of attraction and go beyond whatever is blocking you from the life you want with Karine Beerfeld. The law of attraction, traction starts right now.
1: Wow. Hey, everybody. Welcome.
0: Welcome to the law of
1: attraction, traction. Uh, Corinne Bierfeld is the host of this incredible show. And the reason that this is different, and you're going to hear about it today, is because in her practice, everything she's done In working with people, anxiety, depression, PTSD, eating disorders, substance abuse, you name it, physical disease, pain, she helps people learn how to move beyond it. But one of the things she also does and does very, very well is she understands the law of attraction and what happens when we have no traction. And what I mean by have no traction we have no traction on the law of attraction, mm-hmm. and what that means is we do a bunch of things that basically do not work, right? Um, and so today we're talking about that and and so much more. Uh, one of the things that I know that I have a love hate relationship with is this topic: mm-hmm. the importance of boundaries in managing our energy wow how big is this right
2: yes hi dr pat yeah i'm so glad to see you today i was just thinking um it seems like it's been a long time because i was sick last time so we didn't get to do our show and i've missed talking to you so i'm excited to be with you today and excited to be talking about this this topic around how do we set clear boundaries
1: well you know let's talk about this for a minute because This is one of these things that pops up in our lives and we don't even know it's there. And what do I mean by that is we're so busy, 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 busy in our world, Mm -hmm. right? And we keep doing, 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 and we don't understand when somebody inches up to a boundary and then inches on the boundary
2: (laughs) and then crosses the boundary line. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm excited to be talking about this topic, especially today, because I know we did our our last show on uh, relationships, and I had talked about how in my practice, especially when I'm doing couples work, uh, when I work with people, I'm all about helping them take responsibility for their own feelings when something gets triggered in a relationship. Uh, And I was thinking after that how important it is, though, to really emphasize that, like, taking responsibility for our feelings does not mean that we allow other people to abuse us or that we stay connected to people who are unhealthy in any way. So, um, yeah, as you were just saying, you know, as when it comes to setting boundaries, uh, I like what you were saying about, so some people will kind of inch forward and then come up to the boundary and then cross right over it. And I don't, you know, um, I was kind of hoping to, today that we could talk in terms of, I think, you know, everybody is capable of violating boundaries, but not doing it out of a, a place maliciously. But there are some people that are more what I would consider to be toxic people that are like chronic boundary violators. It yeah. just, they cannot accept boundaries. Yeah. And, um, Those are the ones I kind of wanted to focus on more today because I'm telling you that has been one of my greatest life lessons. Boy, I will tell you what, Uh, I've spent a lot of my life, you know, um, wanting to kind of be in that, like be liked and have had, you know, people pleasing issues. I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but that's been such a a huge life lesson for me is um, what I've noticed is like, you know, the more I've done my work and the healthier, I have become the, the, the clearer I've become with my boundaries. So uh, internal worth, self-worth, and having clear boundaries kind of goes together. And so one of the hardest things I've had to learn in my life is that um, I don't need to allow just everybody to be in my life that wants to mm. be in my life. Or I have learned how to, at least if there are people that are unhealthy... Um, that I can decide how much contact and how often I'm going to have contact. And if, if they're not healthy people, then I can keep it more limited.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I like that we're taking on this part of boundaries because, you know, uh, when it's the once in a blue moon boundary, that's so obvious, right? Uh, we, we get our eyes wide open, right? Cause we feel it. We feel a level of pain on it. Right. Yeah. But if it's people that are in our lives that are doing it all the time, it's almost as if we've either created a resistance for it, uh, we've created an almost complacency for it, or Mm -hmm. we've created just, I just don't want to deal with it for it. And, (laughs) and, And it's harder because once in a while, somebody will crush a boundary and you could say, hey, that right there, that is like, that's a no for me. But what do you do, Kareem, with people that are in your life that this is the way they operate? This mm-hmm. is just them doing it. This is like them just breathing.
2: <laughs> yes, I know exactly. <laughs> and there are people like that that that's kind of how they operate. Um, you know, I, I will usually tell my clients that that the healthier a person is, the more they tend to be self-reflective, want to do their own work, take responsibility. Like if they hurt someone else and they cause harm, they'll feel bad. They'll have empathy. They'll feel remorse. They'll try to correct the behavior. Those are signs of somebody who's healthy on a healthy path. Um, But the opposite is also true. So the more unhealthy someone is, And I don't say that from a place of judgment. It's just more like I look at it like the more wounded or traumatized or um, it's like somebody who's living very unconsciously, they tend to be the opposite. They don't self-reflect. They don't want to take responsibility for their behavior. Um, If they're confronted about their behavior, oftentimes they'll turn it around. They'll blame the person that they've hurt. Um, They more often tend to live like uh, they see themselves as victims in the victim mode. And so with, with someone like that, when you're, if you're, you know, you're asking, well, what do you do with somebody like that? Unfortunately, the answer is you can't change that person. And again, this has been like, God, such a hard lesson for me. What a big life lesson. (laughs) Learning that you cannot change other people. All we can do is we become healthier. We can speak up in relationships, we can say, okay, this feels right for me. This doesn't feel right. Here's what I'd like for, from you. Or when this happened, you know, Mm -hmm. that this is, it caused me pain or it hurt me and have a conversation about it. If you're dealing with a healthy person, then in a healthy relationship, hopefully the response would be, my God, my intention was not to cause you harm. Let me change my behavior. If you're dealing with someone who is more toxic and, you know, in psychology, there's this whole thing where they talk about, um, like personality disorders, <laughs> you got, you know, so there's mood yep. disorders, which are treatable anxiety, depression, yep. PTSD, kind of, and then you get the personality disorders, which are much more difficult to treat. Um, and they are much, the, the people with personality disorders are much more difficult to be in relationship with because they tend to create a lot of chaos, a lot of drama, a lot of pain. Um, so when you set a boundary with someone like that, oftentimes the boundary is not going to be honored. actually yeah. sometimes with someone who's personality disorder, they just look at it as a challenge yeah. to see if they can stomp on you even harder. So yeah. the answer with someone like that is you you know you you, you can you don't continue to engage with someone yeah. like that and that yeah. can be a really, really hard thing to do yeah um especially if it's someone close like if it's a family member or, yeah if you're
1: married um, to them. spouse. (laughs) I want to get back to what you said. I want to be clear because you bring up a really good point. We're talking about personality disorders. We're not talking about differences like you would see in the Myers-Briggs. There are differences in personalities and you work around them. But I I watched, uh, honestly, I watched a, a couple I knew literally go to divorce court because one of them, and I can't mention which one because they may be listening, so I, I don't. I don't even want to call them out on that. But yeah. because one of them could not stop reaching over on the plate at the dinner and yeah. going in for a for like like her food. Yeah, like that led to a divorce. The, that was, <laughs> and and but the reason I'm bringing it up is you would think it's a simple thing for somebody to stop. Mm -hmm. But this is somebody that does it so naturally. And it's so offensive. So if you happen to get into a relationship where that that is such an abusive form of boundary violation for a person, like some people are like, you don't touch my food. I am a Rottweiler. You do not touch my food. (laughs) But that seems like a small thing. When you start to add these boundary things up, they're overwhelming
2: hmm Yeah. And uh, it can go beyond touching food. You know what I mean? I, like I tend to work with people who've come from a lot of trauma, come from very difficult upbringings where there's been a lot of abuse. And um, sometimes the most difficult, and this happens a lot actually, is I, because I do do so much trauma work, as people become healthier, um, what happens is they start to really become aware of the level of dysfunction sometimes in the family of origin. Yeah. And then that can be really difficult because, you know, the healthier you become another principle is the the less willing you are to tolerate being around unhealthy behavior.
0: Yeah. It
2: doesn't mean you don't have compassion for people that are, you know, in a more unconscious place, but you just don't want to be around it. Yeah. It just doesn't feel good. You want to be around people who are going to support you and uplift you. So, I've seen over and over in my practice and I've also seen because, you know, I, I, uh, my training's in hypnotherapy. I, the, I used to do like these intensive retreats, um, we would go like four, three or four weekends a year for five days at a time. And I would sit in a group of about 30 therapists or so. And as we did our work, mm. uh, and we became healthier over and over what we would, see, what would happen is we'd start to like evaluate, the people in our lives and the relationships in our lives. And it was difficult because again, sometimes like when you're two unhealthy people together, they're not going to see the dysfunction, but if one exactly. person starts to grow and get healthier and um, work on themselves and the people around them are not, it it becomes more and more difficult sometimes for the person who's doing the work to say, Uh, you you know like to continue just living unconsciously they don't want to do it anymore one of my teachers in wellness who I love more he's like one of my best teachers and I don't think he'll mind me saying his name I just had a conversation with him last week I haven't seen him for a while his name's Michael Malone um love him he's been like such an angel in my life he has always said that you know as I continue to grow and get healthy then the people around me are either going to grow with me and become healthy with me, or they're going to get gone. And I'm okay with either one. Yeah. So it's a high-level statement. It's the one thing to understand it cognitively. It's another thing to really put it into practice. So, you know, and I, and I've struggled with that in my own life because I, you know, especially like with family members and things like that, it's hard. It's, it can be such a hard, hard thing to do to disengage or, Um, detach from people that you love. But again, as you start to, you know, become healthy, healthier, or keep growing, uh, then it just becomes more and more important to want to be with people who are going to meet you at that level. And, uh, or or, or who can see you above where you are, who are going to support you to help you rise up. Because otherwise, it's like, You know, like if somebody's drowning and you get in the water to try to save the drowning, you're not going to save them. They're going to suck you down. Yeah, yeah. And when we're talking about law of attraction, the the thing that's most important when we're trying to manifest new beautiful things in our lives is managing our internal state every day. And the I don't think there's anything that influences our state. Like, I can't think of any other factor that plays a bigger role in how we feel and in our emotional state on a daily basis than who we're engaging with, who we're in relationship with, who we're spending our time with, who we're, you know, who we're talking to, who we're listening to. So, you know, well, and one of the things
1: too, I want to ask you about is, let's just get right to this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the fact that there are reasons that boundaries are so important. Let's talk about a few of the reasons. Um, I I gave an example of like obvious, right? The fork comes over, takes the food. But why is that so important to the person that, that has the food on the plane? When you find out why that's so important to her, what you realize is it triggered all sorts of unsafe things. Growing up in a family where there was not enough food on sure. the table i mean there, there, there are like a thousand reasons and when you hear the story mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. it triggers in her and and no matter what she says kindly to stop it doesn't stop uh finally um the the outburst of <laughs> the restaurant outburst of how that got resolved it boils up and that's what it comes to So imagine like one time in the restaurant with six people at a dinner going to dinner and the partner just can't stop going after the food. And (laughs) I mean, it's obvious to everybody around. And she finally took the plate and just smeared it all over. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was the last straw of a decade. But the reason it's so important is it harms people at a deep emotional level. Right. Boundaries help people feel
2: safe don't they that that's the purpose of a boundary is we create safety for ourselves by setting boundaries with others i would say that in that situation if this woman had been with someone f- for a decade and had asked for a decade please stop oh my touching God. my food and mm-hmm. they the, the partner continued to mm-hmm. engage in a behavior that they knew was very h- harmful to me that's what i'm talking about that's somebody who's not going to honor a boundary like that's crazy that, Well, that goes deeper. There's something wrong with the partner, clearly. Clearly there's something
1: wrong. (laughs) You know, we just saw this play out, Kareem, in our pop culture. Um, We saw two people go at it in a harmful way. Uh, We saw Chris Rock say something he shouldn't have said. And then we saw the last straw for Will Smith. Both of them have consequences, but one of them had a severe consequence. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't feel safe, right, and when you're stuck, we have to know how to change it. How often have you watched your partner screaming matches? How often Mm -hmm. have you watched a couple of screaming matches? (laughs)
2: Oh well, not not often in my practice because I just say to people, "You're not paying me enough. I'm not going yeah, to listen." No, oh yeah, right, exactly. You're setting a boundary. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, doesn't
1: I do happen. They do want to go there, you have to admit. I
2: to well, sometimes I've had people try to escalate, and then I will, in a calm way, say, "Look, no, that's not what we're doing in here. You could you could scream at each other at home. You don't need to come and sit here and." you know, pay me to do that. So if you want to now, and that's <laughs> setting a boundary, here's what we're going to do. If you want to stay and we can, you know, try to see if we can resolve this and we're going to talk to each other respectfully. That's <laughs> your boundary. And I think pretty much every time, maybe yeah. one time I had somebody go, that they weren't willing to, and they got up and left. And I was okay with that, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't have been productive anyway to have them stay. But there are really, there's
1: a process. And let's talk about what you can do if this person is in your life. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I've worked for some people that bully bosses can be bullies. Bullying at work is prevalent. So you have to decide for yourself, right? You know, talk about, you know, unhealthy somebody is right. Mm -hmm. And what we can do about it. But there are just some situations where the only thing you could do is adjust on the inside. There are jobs you're not going to be able to leave. So you have to do something else. It's a hard lesson.
2: I think that's a great question. You're so right too, um, especially like in a situation where if, if you work for a difficult boss or a toxic boss or there's a toxic employee, it only takes one in an environment to to, to like really create a toxic environment for everybody. You get one person like that. Um, well, okay. So to take this to some of the principles that we have talked about before, on the law of attraction, I do tend to say to people, like if somebody comes in, for example, and they're dealing with a toxic boss, and I've had plenty of that, the, the, those type of situations come up over the 20 years I've been in practice. I, I will uh, have a, a conversation with them. And this is, you know, again, a lot of times people don't want to hear this, but it sort of goes back to what I was saying about relationships in the last show where, I don't believe it's a coincidence, the people that show up in our life that on, and, and this is a law of attraction principle that we, we tend to attract in some way, um, people that will reflect back to us where we're wounded. And it usually has to do with family of origin stuff. So if somebody grew up with like, uh, an abusive mother or abusive father, um, it's not uncommon at all that they could end up in a work situation where they are experiencing an abusive boss and to tolerate it. So what will happen is like, they, let's say that they come in and they're experiencing a lot of emotional anguish around that, understandably. What I tend to do is, first of all, I'll, you know we can talk about like the practical things that they can do uh, in the work environment just in the short run to set boundaries. So that would be like, okay, you want to be non-reactive because toxic people like it when you, if if they can get a rise out of you or they can get a reaction that actually fuels them. So like, it's the opposite of what a normal, like somebody who's not disordered doesn't want to hurt other people, but somebody who is, they actually enjoy it or they can, it makes them feel significant. So, you know, we'll talk on a practical level about how can you stay calm? How can you not react in the moment you know how can you take your time think it through take deep breaths respond briefly and then remove yourself but at the same time as I'm you know we're working at that level then I will also be um doing work with the person around family of origin stuff because inevitably they ended up in a like they wouldn't have they a healthy person with really clear boundaries who ends up in a work environment with a toxic boss, just be like, I'm out of here. I don't care. Like I'll find someplace else to work. So somebody who's there and working and is suffering, what I will do is um, help them do family of origin work until they begin to feel safer within themselves. And what will usually end up happening is either they get fired (laughs) or a better job comes along like once they've cleared within themselves the, you know and got the lessons that they yeah. need get it just naturally unfolds that um you know as within so without you clean up what's within and then the what's happening externally naturally shifts i've been fired from more than uh, one job I'm not proud to say it but in hindsight i'm like every time it was like a blessing in disguise thank yeah. you god you
1: know yeah yeah i've been fired from every job i've had
2: every so let's just <laughs> Let's just
3: but get that back out and, on the table. But I look
2: back and I'm like, boy, and I had some doozy bosses, you know.
1: <laughs> well, and I I can pinpoint as to every single one of them what was mine to own and what was not, and what I've learned about it, I tend to stay too long. See, that's mm-hmm. a boundary. See, I know, I know when, I know when, somehow, some way, a boundary of mine has been crossed or violated. Yes, yes. and even with that we don't take action. See, I think that that's part of the problem too. Yeah. is If you know, something is happening and you don't give the feedback right away three years later for you to be like, yeah. yeah, you know, you've been doing it for three years. That just doesn't work. Right.
2: I think what you said, that's such an important point. So, because our bodies will tell us right away if something doesn't feel right. So if someone crosses a boundary immediately we'll feel it in our body. Like it might, you know, our stomach might constrict or we'll feel it in our chest. And then we, again, usually if we've been brought up in environments where we had our boundaries violated over and yeah. over, we disregard what our bodies are saying to us. Cause we have, we're, you know, like internally wired, we know what feels right. And what doesn't we'll disregard it. We'll override it and we'll stay and tolerate it until we do the work to become healthy enough to where we're not willing to tolerate it anymore. Yeah. It's just how it works. It is a process. I mean,
1: um, you know, before we get too far here, you work with people on a wide range of, Mm -hmm. of items and issues around this. And I mean, this is your body of work. This is what you're passionate about to help people heal,
0: you know, to help them
1: see right. What they don't see boundaries is one of those things that is not always obvious. Can you let folks know one, how they can find out more about you Uh, and there's a lot of information that if they need to contact you, they can do that. Tell them how to do that best.
2: Sure. So my website is my name, which is, um, kareenbeerfelt.com K O R E N B I E R F E L D T.com. And there's, um, on my website, there's information on how to contact me and about my practice. And, um, I'm sorry, what was the other part of your question? Yeah,
1: and then if people want to work with you, they can just call you and, you know, Mm -hmm. schedule time to do that and all of the above. Um, I wanted to save a few minutes um, at the end to talk about what we started out with. Protecting our boundaries is essential to protecting our energy. And that is something we don't think about that often. But yet, when we know that a boundary has been either stepped on, or approached, or or violated, boy, we know how that feels, don't we? Absolutely, yes.
2: Right, and that's the whole point. When I, you know, was thinking about, okay, what is it when we're talking about law of attraction, learning how to um, be able to be clear about what feels right and doesn't feel right. Yeah. And to set boundaries with people who don't make us feel good so that we can um, stay in a state that lifts us up. We want to be around people who are going to support us and love us, yeah. not people who are going to pull us down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and learning healthy boundaries is also another pathway to freedom, isn't it? I, yes, for yeah. sure. Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
4: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I think you said it earlier and thank you for pointing out. It may not be the easiest thing to do, but boy, it's one of the free, it's one of the most freeing things to do, isn't it?
2: I think it's one of the most important things to do. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. I read read a lot of books on people who are successful and they all say that, that, that who they surround themselves with. Oprah talked about this too. She's like, when I got this, that who I surround myself with, that that was key that was the key to her success
0: thanks for joining the law of attraction traction with host my mom green burfo tune in every third tuesday of the month at 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern on transformation talk radio and learn how you can heal from the traumas and conditions you thought were impossible get inspired to pursue your own healing and growth so that your light shines brighter than ever To learn more about Crean and her and the services she provides as holistic psychotherapists, visit her website at creanbeerfeld.com.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to our Good News segment. It's so great. Every time I get the opportunity to get an update from our friends at PETA, PETA PETA.org, P-E-T-A.org. Every time I, I, I see that we're gonna have a conversation with them, I'm always blown away. Why about what they're doing, but also how little we are aware of what needs to be done. Today, all of you are going to experience, for us, Dr. Lisa jones Engel, PETA's senior science advisor on primate experimentation. Let me say it again. Yes, it's real, primate experimentation. That's not something just in the movies. This is the way we are doing things even now. Dr. Lisa, great to have you, welcome.
4: Thank you very much. I I appreciate the chance to talk with you about this.
1: Well, you know, most people think this is all done, that we just are not really in the groove anymore, that, you know, we got the message on this, and everybody has changed, and here we are. But, boy, that is so far from the truth. And let's give everybody an update here on what the reality and the facts are, if you don't mind.
4: Absolutely. So the reality is that experimenting on monkeys or AIDS has been disastrous and we need to stop. You know, there's been more than a million monkeys that have been ripped from Asia and Africa and South America. They've um, experienced really unspeakable horrors. They were, they're boxed up, they're shipped around the world, they're tortured, they're killed in the lab. Billions of taxpayer dollars are wasted. And the horrors for the animals, the extraordinary waste of taxpayer dollars, the utter failure to produce successful vaccines and meaningful treatments. This is the reality of monkey experimentation This reality is happening here in Washington State. It's a reality that that I lived Mm. for 14 years as a primate scientist here. And it is a reality that people, you're right, simply don't know what's happening, even here in our own own state, our own backyard.
1: And I got to tell you, especially in our own backyard, if I might say, Dr. Lisa, because we think better of Washington State. At so many levels, we think better of Washington State. You know, one of the states that leads in the fight against climate change, one of the states that led in the openness and support of uh, same-sex marriages. I mean, there's so many things we have come out of the gate with. What the heck is going on here? And many people don't understand what the National Primate Research Centers are, but let's talk about how you all are connecting the dots so that we all know who to call and ask them
4: what's up. Great. So. There are seven remaining National Climate Research Centers. So ours is here in Washington, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, there are another one in Oregon, California, Texas, Louisiana, Georgia. There used to be an eighth. That was up in Massachusetts, and that was at Harvard University. But a few years ago, you know, Harvard looked at the facts. They looked at the monkey facts. They looked at the money facts, and they realized that after decades of phenomenally expensive and torturous experiments on these monkeys, that they hadn't delivered the promised HIV vaccines or the Alzheimer's treatments, or treatments for cardiovascular disease or diabetes, and Harvard shut down their National Planet Research Center. They no longer wanted to invest in bad science, but there are these seven holdouts who despite you know, all the evidence sitting in front of them, it, you're not going to get improvements in human health by using a monkey that's diseased and distressed and caged underground in a tiny little metal box. Despite that, these, these institutes or these NPRC's have kind of run under the radar for a while. Here in Washington State, I and Peter are doing everything in our power to make sure that actually people do see. They see the violations, the animal welfare violations. They see the Washington State law violations. They see the federal violations of the Animal Welfare Act. And that they know that you know all this money that we're spending on them, all these monkeys that are dying, And we're getting nothing out of it.
1: So, what does it take from your perspective to get like a wake up call here and get people to stop?
4: People have to see it, people have to hear about it. And that is tough because this is a billion dollar industry that is highly invested, highly motivated to make sure that people don't see. You know, the the misinformation that's put out. You know, we we see it all the time. Um we must have monkeys in order to get, you know, COVID vaccines. Well, that's a blatant lie. Yeah. Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson, they knew from the very beginning that the virus was not behaving the same way in the monkey, that it was behaving in humans. And they said, this monkey stuff, this is this is garbage. We're going directly into to human clinical trials. And that's why we got these vaccines into our arms very, very quickly. If we had relied on the continued, you know, the riding the monkey train, we'd still be in, in the depths of this pandemic.
1: You know, I know you're on the forefront of this and you're like me. Every time we get something like this, we wonder, is this reality? Right? Is is this something that we're just not looking at? And uh, let's make sure everybody knows that you are upfront and they can t- they can go to your website and they can get a lot of information and they could take
4: some action. Would you let
1: folks know how they can do that?
4: Absolutely. So you can go to PETA.org forward slash NPRC, National Primate Research Center. The documentation is there. The descriptions of the seven National Primate Research Center. You can actually see the videos. You can see the the information that we pulled through Freedom of Information requests. You can actually click on the Activist Center and send an email to the National Institutes of Health, which funds with taxpayer Mm. dollars these NPRCs and tell the NIH, you know what? No, this is not how I want my taxpayer dollars being spent. This is flawed science. It is taking away funding from the, the 21st century's approach to human health. so, tell NIH, put the money toward translatable, human-relevant, non-animal research. That's where our dollars should be going.
1: Well, let's get at the bottom of something that nobody's talking about. You know, I talked about this years ago when we were leading the championship and investigations into the core essence of Lyme disease and how that may have happened you know, why is it called Lyme disease out of Lyme? And you have something in Mm -hmm. this report that really does speak to a battle we took on. And let's get on it right now. Some of the facilities, and I I, I think they were Texas, Louisiana, what they are acknowledging, this is shocking right now, what we're about to say, you ready, that thousands of monkeys, right, who are being housed outdoors. So thing number one, everybody should hear, They're not all indoors, so let's start with that conversation. But imagine thousands of monkeys housing outdoors, carrying deadly parasites, and you don't even have to fill out the rest. Anybody with a little common sense, think about this. They can spill over into human populations. Well, just everybody listening, imagining this. Here you've got these monkeys and they are outdoors. Thousands of monkeys. Now think about this from your own perspective. How often do we see a deer walk through your backyard and you all know that that one deer can carry more ticks than you can imagine which spill over to your yard then that spills over on other things. So this Dr. Lisa, this is the thing people need to think about right here.
4: Am I correct? Fact check Absolutely. me. Please fact check me. You are me. you are you are spot on with that. And I'm just, I'm actually going to even Put a little bit finer detail on that. So you talked about Texas and Louisiana, the primate centers there, with thousands of monkeys. Those monkeys are basically an outdoor buffet for mosquitoes and mm. for, for beetles that they carry all types of infections. And so, the the, the vectors—that's what we call vector-borne insects—they come in. Yep, they feed on the monkeys. The the parasites that they're carrying actually kind of circulate in those monkey populations. They diversify, they mutate, they change in those monkey populations, then more bugs come in, they feed on them, they pick up the new bugs, then they go out and they feed on, on humans. They feed on our dogs. Chagas disease. Right now, Texas and Louisiana have admitted in their own publications that their monkey populations are maintaining a significant role in the maintenance, transmission, and diversity of the parasite that causes Chagas disease, and that this is... The likelihood that this is now spilling over into human and and canine populations, this this stuff is happening. It's shocking. And no one knows about it.
1: Stuff. No one knows about it. And honestly, I wish you know that we could do a bigger expose on this because I got to tell you, I fought for ten years, myself and a number of doctors here in Washington State, the state that admits uh, that would would not admit that Lyme disease lives here. And I experience how they get around that myself. It's shocking what they did to not acknowledge that Lyme disease here until the numbers got so big that they had to really admit, oh, these are not transplants from other states. Maybe somehow a tick knows how to get from Montana to Colorado to Idaho. So somehow somebody acknowledged that. Why are we so naive about this transmission? Because, you know, the science would say that this is one of the reasons that we can't pinpoint where half of this parasitic diseases are coming from.
4: You were, again, you were so spot on. Actually, the Washington State Primate Center got busted by the Washington State Department of Ag because they were importing diseased monkeys into Seattle without Mm -hmm. the necessary permits. And actually, that was just their imported monkeys, and they're not allowed to bring in disease monkeys, but they, they still were. And that is something... Mm-hmm. It's just, so, yeah, we busted them for that, or WSDA busted them for that. But that's just one example. You know, we are showing that there are disease, pathogen and parasite and hidden monkeys that are traveling all over this country. And, you know, we know it. The CDC knows it. You know, a few weeks ago, we actually... So the world got got a face full of it because in Danville, Pennsylvania, monkeys fresh off the plane from from Africa. There was an accident. They spilled out onto the highway. Three of them got loose. The Centers for Disease Control actually sent a team up immediately. They saw this is the nightmare scenario. Yeah. CDC knows the public health risk. Mm. Those monkeys were shot dead.
1: Can I just tell you something? Let's just get to something. I know you got to run. I'm way over my time, but I just got you to, I need you to comment on this. Most of the time when we talk about these Washington National Primate Research Center, everybody thinks, oh, maybe they're in Yakima, right? You feel me on this? This center is not, Uh this is not in Yakima. Let's tell people where the Washington National Primate Research Center is, okay? It is.
4: MacDab in the middle of Seattle on the UW campus. It's in the buried underground facility on the health sciences campus. Yep. There are infant monkeys in the, the lab and in, in health sciences. On five floors of health sciences, you've got monkeys. We used to have monkeys right next to the, um, the Olympic sculpture garden. Yep. You know, there are so many monkeys. Right there. Hidden. Right there. In this city. Yep. Yep. Look,
1: thank you so much for today. Give out your website and last question, personal message. What do you want to leave us with today?
4: Peter.org slash NPRC. People need to see. We need people to look, to see what's going on, and then to hold the individual to a responsible, accountable. We need good human health. And you don't get that by using monkey science. Yeah. These monkeys. Yeah. Bad science and a public
1: health threat. Yeah, and I I am just shocked why we do not have more protesters outside these buildings, why we're not doing more to expose it, because we actually cannot believe that right in the heart of Seattle, that is going on. Dr. Lisa Jones-Angle, I'm Dr. Pat. Let's take a short break, we'll be right back.
2: Melissa Johnson is a certified life coach, author, speaker, and creator of Wow Ministries, Worship Over Worry, designed to give you the tools needed to live a life of purpose. You have a choice daily to worry about your life and give up the fight or decide to worship God through your pain and triumph victoriously. Melissa Johnson offers a variety of books, curriculums, and programs to guide you through a self-discovery journey.
4: Book your consultation
1: with Melissa Johnson today at wowministriesllc.com.
4: You've been listening, but are you watching? Tune in to your favorite shows on the Transformation Talk Radio Facebook page. We stream live video podcasts every day, and we love to hear from you. Leave comments and questions for the host to address live, on the air, and get to know the faces behind the voices you love. Just go to Facebook and search for Transformation Talk Radio. Yeah, yippee skippy to that, baby.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to a good news segment. I got to tell you, it's a good news segment. Uh, David Effun is joining me here today. And, you know, the reason that I'm excited about speaking with him, because he is doing something that I have longed for people around the New York City arena to do. You know, growing up in New York City, okay, what do I know about New York City? I remember getting on that subway, having that paper, grabbing that coffee right there. If you come through the tubes, you got that, you got your paper, you're sitting on the subway and you are just getting all up to date with what's going on. But now there's a new world and Dovid is doing something really fascinating with this new world because I don't know about you, but I am really long for journalism now old school journalism new school journalism i don't care what you call it it's journalism and what is the new york sun right you ready for that i know that one one of america's historic newspaper what are they doing here's what they're doing they're getting it on they're relaunching an online daily and national international coverage aiming at restoring public trust in the press Hallelujah for that. David, welcome to the show.
3: Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me, Dr. Pat.
1: I'm telling you, grew up, growing up in New York, one of the things that most New Yorkers, and I, and I can't speak for everybody in New York, but you know this, that's why you're launching this, is we are really hungry for news. We're hungry to get information. And this is across the board. This is really across the board. But we're hungry for saying, who are the people that are contributing What is the newspaper about? How many places can we look at this? And what is it that we can take from this and we can trust? Now, let me ask you this question. Did you consider those things when you said, okay, I'm on it. I am relaunching this paper, New York, The Sun. Tell me.
3: Absolutely. Those are exactly the things that we considered. And I don't have to tell you that, you know, while news consumption is at the all-time high, there are, you know, dozens and hundreds of news publications in print, especially online. But at the same time, newspapers and journalism are in crisis. And I'm not even talking about the business of newspapers. I'm talking about the crisis in trust. You have a, a situation nowadays where trust in journalism and news institutions has reached all-time lows. It's more than halved since record-keeping began in 1972. And that's bad. You know, that's really dangerous for our democracy. I mean, we all know that journalism is the lifeblood of democracy. That means if journalism is sick, then our democracy is sick. And when you have so many citizens who look at the press the press that is supposed to serve as the safeguard of democracy to be you know if you will the backstop the safety net of democracy um when all other institutions have failed and yet the press itself is failing so spectacularly um, we know that it's time for a new journalism, and there is no better publication than the New York Sun mm. that has that 200 years of, of, of history, almost 200 years of history, that declares on its iconic masthead that it shines for all, that it puts the interests of the American public first. It puts principles over politics and partisanship and, and, and individual personalities. This is a newspaper, I would argue, for this very moment, like no other.
1: And I, I want to thank you, too, for making this affordable for people. Um, people can go to your website and they can read, but thank you for making your membership so that it's accessible to everyone. And that's what I was really struck by, because I remember how much I used to pay for papers and, you know being delivered, and then I have a bunch of online subscriptions. But one of the things you did is you broke this down into three tiers so that there's something for everyone. And when I think about that, you know, you can become a member for help me with my math, but it's like 33 cents a day. And and, and then you can build upon that and then look at what you all are providing people. Uh, I have to congratulate you for that, because coming out of the gate, I know what it's like to launch media. Um, I, we're launching, we're going from one channel to 10. We've been working on our technology, uh, and I know what it's like to do that. And one of the most important things for us was our price point. We could not build a network with 10 channels, you know, offering custom channels to even somebody like you, and then just gouge the prices. So thank you for doing that. Tell me this.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right. I mean, you did it. I want to talk about journalists too. Yeah, exactly. And you know, by the way, instead of holding the paper on the subway, you can have the phone, but this is not just for New Yorkers. It's for everybody, right?
3: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, look, uh, we're in New York by, by birth, if you will, and Mm -hmm. even a bit by spirit, but we're a national paper, even an international paper. I mean, you know, we all know about the, the New York Times, even the L.A. Times and the Washington Post. I mean, today, those boundaries don't really exist anymore. And the national papers, you know, have a base here or there, wherever they are. But they speak to certainly issues that are affecting people across the country and even around the world. You know, we have national correspondents. We have international correspondents. Our base is New York. Our home base is New York. And certainly we've got robust New York coverage. But we are a paper that shines for all. We're a paper that has coverage and is interested in the, 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 the needs and the, 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 the tribulations and the concerns of regular Americans across this great country. And I think in a way that, that few other newspapers are. So um, I would say we're a newspaper with open arms that seeks to shine for all and welcome all Americans to participate mm-hmm. and become a part of our community.
1: Oh Well, I got to tell you, I'm already hooked because I'm already reading some of the articles here. And after I'm done with this, I'm going to sign up for my subscription. You know, I mean, you're covering so many points and perspectives. And I love three things about what you're doing. It's not just an online paper, but you're creating forums for people to have conversations for them to participate. Um, and yet when I go to the website let me just give it out it's nysun.com nysun.com Did I get that right nysun.com yes. Okay okay
3: www.nysun okay. nysun It's an easy one.
1: Oh it's an easy one that's why I was I thought I messed it up right there. Um, what I love about this is this is real journalism. I was struck by this this morning and I know I this is a short interview. But I started to read some of these articles, and I'm like, oh, I got to comment on that. I, I, oh, wait a minute, I gotta, I gotta find somebody on that. Oh, wait a minute, I gotta talk about this, this, the article that that that's in here about Romney. Uh, and 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 you know, oh, oh, okay, oh my gosh, you know. And so I find myself like in one click, really interested. Can I ask you this question? the thing that i think is, is got my attention is the quality of the writing these are journalists correct
3: oh absolutely and you know we put a tremendous focus you know i don't know why it is but you know when it comes to your doctor or your lawyer or your accountant or your travel agent you know everybody wants the best and the brightest but you know people will click on anything that they see on the head uh, see on the internet that looks like a shiny object um, you know, we have a very different approach to this. You know, we interviewed somewhere between two and 300 people, mm. um, the best and the brightest people with real deep experience on the issues that we're covering. Our editor-in-chief, Seth Lipsky, is a, really a legend in the world of journalism. And, uh, you know, if you look at the handful of folks we selected from that massive list of candidates, we've really picked the best and the brightest. And, you know, we know that the, the worst, and the measure of any newspaper is not in market cap or cash on hand. It's in the hearts and minds of its editors and journalists. And that goes back, you know, all the way. In fact, it, it, in an old description of the New York Suns newsroom, which was sort of a, an empty warehouse in the in the 1800s, you know, a big building. but it, But that's what the room looked like. It was just a big open room with a lot of desks. The biographer speaks of the only adornment, in that room is the men and their genius. And the men and women of the New York Sun uh, have been hand-selected to bring the very best value Mm -hmm. to our readers and real expertise, knowledge, thoughtfulness to every single subject. We put a lot of focus on that and certainly uh, know that it's much needed and, and will be appreciated by the American public and by our constituents and readership.
1: Well, I have to tell you, um, I know what it's like to create quality. And yes, we do invest in building our networks. I mean, I know what we've invested, but we invest because people want the best. And I, and I really have to honor you for the way that you've come out at the gate with this. I want to ask you this last question. I only got about two minutes left here, but tell me your vision. I want to know your vision. Where are you going from here? Okay. But you don't have to give me any secrets, but Something. Give me something.
3: Well, look, you know, uh, our vision is, is is really influenced by our past, and it's not a secret because in order to achieve our vision, um, you know, we, we'll need people to come along with us. You know, we'll need a community to, to join us and stand behind us. You know, it's a participatory sport if you're not happy with the journalism you see today instead of disengaging, you know, we invite you to become a a part of building a better alternative. That's the American way. And you can do that at nysun.com. But what we'd like to really build, you know, is to build back this historic paper of record. You know, in our city, in New York, there's another paper, the New York Times, that has really um, fashioned itself as the be-all and the end-all of journalism. Yet there are many tens of millions of Americans who really look at that paper and feel like it doesn't represent them in any way, shape, or form. And the New York Sun really filled that role as as a counterweight uh, for many years. It was founded 18 years before the New York Times. It's got those Pulitzer Prizes, nearly 200 years of history. It's a New York broadsheet with a gothic masthead and a focus on politics and arts. So in many ways, you know, it is that mirror image of of the times. And if we can build the New York Sun back to that prominent role that it's held historically, speaking for all Americans as a counterweight to a newspaper that many Americans feel has lost its way, you know, we'll we'll be, uh, you know, very pleased with that achievement and our hope is that the American public will will welcome that as well.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for everything. One last question. I would be remiss if I didn't. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today?
3: My personal message is that, you know, in today's world, every single person, individual person, can be an editor-in-chief of their own outlet, of their own Facebook page, social media accounts. And it's not just enough to consume and read the best journalism, but it's, uh, we're in a moment where everybody can participate in it. And everybody should consider doing so uh, for the good of the future of journalism and the future of, of our democracy. I
1: love it. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, Many, many more things to come. Please make sure you all go to the website and check it out. You can decide for yourself. uh, NYSUN.com. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back.